Hello, Heart and Soul listeners. I'm Pastor Greg Lundstedt, and I'm so glad that I can share my series from Equipping the Saints with you. I pray that God will grow each and every one of you in Christ through this series. Well, if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, you'll recognize that sometimes it can be difficult that instantly you have those who are opposed to you, maybe even in your own families, whatever it might be, and there are those who might even be hostile towards you. The Lord Jesus said, don't be surprised if the world hates you. It hated me first. I'm just paraphrasing from John. The reality is man apart from Christ doesn't want Christ and hates Christ. And so when you come to faith, you're going to have opposition. You're going to have difficulty. There's the temporal sufferings, but there's the glories to follow. Now, as we go through those trials, they can be discouraging because there's all kinds of different manifestations of how opposition can come in our lives and difficulties and trials. And the Lord God is a gracious God. He doesn't want us to crumble under the pressure. He doesn't want us to fall apart. He doesn't want us to get shaken up. He wants to encourage us that we will be able to stand in the midst of those difficulties. And so we're going to see today how we can endure the trials that following Jesus brings. And we're going to see that as we thank the Lord and think about our glorious salvation in Christ putting the word in our hearts that God uses that to encourage us. Turn your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 to 15. Now, as we come to the book of 2 Thessalonians, just a reminder of the context. The Apostle Paul is writing a church that is less than a year old in the faith. You'll remember that Acts chapter 17 and also 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 reveals the conversion of these Thessalonians. They were pagans, they were idolaters, they heard the word of God, and they turned to God from idols to serve the living and one and only true God and to wait for his son who delivers us from the wrath to come. They got saved. And when they heard the word of God, chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, they received it not as the word of men, for what it really is, the word of God, which performs its work in you who believe. And the apostle Paul, as he was sharing the word of God, was run out of town, run out of Thessalonica. And he was concerned about them. He was concerned about their faith, having been with them just for a short time, having been then orphaned from them. And so he sent Timothy to see how they're doing in the faith. And he got a report back. And it's after this report he shares this first letter of Thessalonians to them. And he clears up some issues that they were confused about. And then in less than a couple months probably, he wrote 2 Thessalonians. Because it's very clear that chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians speaks of Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy. And there was only a short window that they were together. And so it's probably within a year. They're still less than a year old in the faith. And there are some other issues that have come up that Paul is concerned about for the faith of these Thessalonians. Indeed, in chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians, we see that they were suffering greatly for their faith. You know, Jesus said, you know, you count the cost. You don't go out and just build something, not counting the cost and understanding what's needed. Otherwise, you're going to be laughed at when you don't complete it. The reality is there is a temporal cost to following Jesus Christ. And that cost comes in many different ways. One is persecution. 
It's a temporal cost. And these Thessalonians, they were suffering at the hands of their countrymen. They were suffering for coming to Christ. And the Apostle Paul shares that, and he shares in chapter 1 that God hasn't missed a beat, that those who are bringing about this persecution, those who we see in chapter 2 have rejected the gospel, rejected Christ, that they're going to pay the penalty. They're going to pay the penalty for their sinfulness, and we see that Christ is going to come ultimately and be glorified, and that his saints are going to marvel in that, that there's the sufferings for the glories to follow. And then we saw in chapter 2, as we're looking today, and we'll read through part of that, that there were some bad guys out there in the church. Oh, really? Yes, bad guys in the church. They creep in unnoticed. Jude says certain men have crept in unnoticed. And they come in, they sneak in, they distort the word of God. And they try to shake up those who are in the faith. And there were those who were doing that, and we'll read this in a minute. But they were saying, in essence, to these Thessalonians, that the day of the Lord has come. And we've studied this in many times, many different portions, so you can get the CDs. But for the Thessalonians, that would shake them up. They're in their trials, and the day of the Lord has come, God's judgment upon the earth. Wait a second. He's supposed to come for us first and deliver us before the wrath to come. Something's wrong. And so Paul has to correct that and share that, hey, you're okay, guys. Don't be quickly shaken. Don't be tossed around. The day of the Lord, God's wrath upon this earth before Christ comes personally, will not come unless that apostasy comes and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the Antichrist. We've talked all about that. We've gone through that, and we've seen that, and we're going to just review that very briefly. But in our passage today, he moves to encourage these believers, to encourage them because their destiny is not the destiny of those who have rejected Christ. Okay, so with that in mind, turn to... 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I'm going to read up to our passage. And again, we've gone through about three or four sermons already in this chapter, and so a lot of it is kind of complex, but it's not complex, but it is. So just if you need to review that, you can get those CDs. But our passage hinges on what we've studied already, so I'm going to read up to it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, and it says here, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. Hey, you know, chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, you know the Lord's going to come for you. He's going to gather you together. You know that. He says, in regards to that, that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter, as if from us, that's counterfeit, to the effect the day of the Lord has come. Don't get shaken up. If someone shares that to you, it's not true. And he's going to explain why. We've seen this already. Let no one deceive you in any way, for it, that's the day of the Lord, will not come unless the apostasy comes first. When God's day of wrath and judgment comes upon this earth, the earth is going to have to have turned completely against him first. The apostasy is a complete turning away. There's going to be a wholesale turning away of those who would name the name of Christ. They're going to turn away. They're going to reject that. They're going to turn. The apostasy comes first, and that he says, the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God and object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple, displaying himself as being God. That's the Antichrist. Okay, we talked all about that. 
Do you not remember while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? Paul's like, hey, I was with you for three weeks. I was telling you about this stuff. It's not too complex. Here's what God has said. Here's what's going to happen. And he says here, and you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he may be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who restrains him will do so until he is taken out of the way or out of the midst. You see, Satan's unchained evil, in a sense, is restrained right now. It's restrained. God is restraining it, but he's restraining it through the church, through his spirit in his people. There is a restraint on evil, but that restraint will be gone when God takes his people when he comes to gather them up to himself. And when that happens, all hell will break loose. And as we've seen, this man of lawlessness will ultimately Declare himself to be God, the Antichrist. Okay, we went through all that, a lot of scriptures. But notice, he says here, And then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all powers, signs, and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. There's a time coming in this world where sin and evil is going to be dealt with directly. God is allowing it to go on right now because he's unwilling that any should perish. If he was to judge your sin and evil before you got saved, you would be judged and you wouldn't be able to be saved. He's gracious. He's patient. But there's a time when the world will, in a wholesale sense, will turn away from the Lord after God's people have been removed, taken away. There'll be some remnant that gets saved, but in a wholesale sense, the world will rebel against the Lord, and the Antichrist will be in charge, will have that all the stuff we've talked about, and that's when Christ will come, slay his enemies and the beast, and establish his kingdom. But it has to get to the worst it's going to get. And that's the day of the Lord. We're not going to go through it. And so Paul's explaining that. Thessalonians, don't get shaken up. You're not going through it. And so he says here, with all power, signs, and false wonders, with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence that they might believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. You see, God's a gracious God, and he announces the truth. The truth is that we're sinners and that we need a Savior and that he sent his son Jesus Christ. He took on human flesh and he went to the cross and he bore our sins in his body on the cross in our place. God requires death for sin. God requires the wages of sin is death. And if Christ didn't come, then we would all die in our sins and we would pay the penalty for our sins forever and ever. But God sent his son. He loved us so much and he paid the penalty for us. And if you're willing to humble yourself, which God says to every man, declares to every man at all to repent, and you repent and trust in Christ, you will be forgiven. You will be given the righteousness of Christ. But if you reject that, reject the love of the truth so as to be saved, if you don't believe you're a sinner in need of a Savior, you don't believe that Jesus is God who took on human flesh and died and rose from the dead, you don't call upon him, then you... And your lot is the lot of those in the day of the Lord, that they might be judged who did not believe in the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. 
And so it's a pretty serious thing. We talked about it last time. And now we hear that. We go, wow, you know, some of your visitors are going, oh, this is a real exciting, encouraging sermon. Well, it is going to be encouraging because he's talking about the lot of those who are not the Thessalonian church. He's talking about those who've rejected Christ. And if you've rejected Christ, then yes, this is a very, very serious thing. But now he's going to move and talk to the Thessalonians in contrast and say, hey, but for you guys, this is what awaits you. And this is what you need to do in the midst of this difficulty. And here's our passage. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. And it was for this he called you through our gospel that you might gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. And as I mentioned, the Thessalonians were greatly suffering, and the Lord wants to encourage them. And so how can we be encouraged? I think, first of all, we need to be giving thanks for what God has done for us. We need to be thankful Notice in our passage here, verse 13, and we need to be thankful always for our salvation. But we shall always give thanks to God for you, beloved brethren of the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. What a tremendous thing. Hey, they rejected the truth. They rejected the gospel. They chose to reject it. They're on their way to judgment. But we give thanks for you because God chose you to be saved. And you are saved, and you're being saved, and you will be saved, and we'll talk about that. In contrast to those who have rejected the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, those who will go through the horrifying, terrible day of the Lord if they're alive at that time, they're going to be deceived and then judged. They're going to be destroyed eternally in the punishment in the lake of fire, a horrifying fate. In contrast to them, we give thanks for you. We give thanks for you. He says, but we should always give thanks. The word is, we're indebted, we're obligated. We're obligated in light of what God has done in you and what he's doing to give thanks to him. We're obligated to always give thanks to God for you. Brothers and sisters, we've seen throughout the book of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, Paul was so thankful for their salvation, thankful to God for saving them. They were truly saved. They weren't make-believers. They weren't phonies. They weren't pseudo-Christians. They really, truly turned to God from idols. They truly got saved. He says we should always give thanks to God for you, and that thankfulness is for their salvation. We see that. And notice he shares a term of endearment, a term of love. Brethren, beloved by the Lord. The term beloved here is a perfect passive form of agape. What does that mean? It means that it's a love that comes from God. It's come already and it still is there. You were loved, done deal, and you still are loved, but it has nothing to do with you. It's God doing it to you. Beloved by the Lord. Beloved brethren by the Lord. Tremendous reality that salvation is based on the love of God. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, 
that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life or everlasting life. John fifteen thirteen. greater love has none than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, by this the love of God was manifest in us that God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. That means satisfaction. God satisfied with Jesus, not satisfied with your work, satisfied with Jesus' work. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. But God demonstrates his love for us that why were we yet sinners? Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live now, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave or delivered himself up for me. We are brethren beloved by the Lord. Notice he says brethren. It's a family relationship. Yes, God created everyone. Yes, he did. But we are not in his family until we trust in Christ and we are adopted into his family. We become his children and thus brothers and sisters of one another, a greater family than our physical family. Yes, how blessed is a physical family that you know each other? How much greater is the family in Christ? First John chapter 3, see how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Wretched sinners, wicked hearts and minds, actions. Think about all the wicked stuff you've done. And he called us and he forgave us and we're in his family. What love is that? That's tremendous. So then, salvation is tied up in the love of God and we are his children because of that love through Christ. So Paul is obligated to always give thanks to God for these beloved brethren. But why? Notice what he says. Because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. Now, some notes may say the term from the beginning is the term first fruits. There's some different manuscripts there. Definitely the first fruits of salvation. There's no doubt about that in terms of coming in the new church and This after Christ rose from the dead, certainly. But I think it's better probably from the beginning. I think it fits the context better. From the beginning. He chose you from the beginning. Now, wait a second. He chose you. Now we get into the sadly divisive topic of election. And unfortunately, it's divisive, but it shouldn't be divisive at all because God's Word just talks about it. But unfortunately, the many hyper-reformed type churches have made one doctrine the pinnacle of their theology, and they built everything else around it, and they have thus twisted other truths to line it up with one doctrine. Whenever one truth in Scripture is raised above others, then it causes error. And the reality is, yes, there is election here. We're going to see it, but that's in the context of also God's love for us and human responsibility to respond to the gospel. So we have here this statement, He has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. The term chosen here means simply that, to choose. And it's used in a few other places, and it has the exact same meaning. In Hebrews chapter 11, it speaks of Moses choosing ill treatment with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He made a choice. 
passing pleasures of sin, ill-treatment with the people of God. He chose ill-treatment. Philippians chapter 1, 22, Paul says, But if I am to live in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. Okay, that's one word. Now, it means to make a decision. Now, this is not the word that we get the word electos from, because there's another word that means to choose also that we see in other places. This one just means to choose, but it's a synonym. It means to choose. But we have seen in other places this idea of what we call election or God choosing. Turn to 1 Thessalonians, just one letter back. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. And this is after Paul gives thanks. After Paul gives thanks for their salvation. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. Knowing... Brethren, beloved by God, notice you have this nearby, the same, same thing, right? His choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You really got saved, so that's an affirmation. He chose you. That's what he's saying. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. Now, this word is where we get our word electos. It's like It speaks of the act of picking or choosing, and it implies a selection among others who are not chosen. That's what it means. And it occurs six times, and every time it occurs, it speaks of divine election upon human objects to bring them into a saving relationship with himself. It's spoken of the Apostle Paul after his conversion when the good Ananias in Acts 9 questions the Lord about Saul, this bad guy formerly. And he says, the Lord said to him, go, in response to Ananias, go for he is a chosen instrument, an elect instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and sons of Israel. It's used four times in the book of Romans, clearly relating to God's independent choice of mankind in salvation. Now, a straightforward reading of Scripture, which cuts across the grain of man's pride, reveals that God chooses in advance who will be saved. Lord, not one, Lord, not one. 
But His love can cheer us. No, not one. No, not one. Did ever saint find this friend forsake him? No, not one. No, not one. Poor sinner, find that he would not take him. No, not one, no, not one. Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day.